You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, it's important you understand the content of this podcast may be difficult to follow, as it assumes you have the necessary training, qualifications and experience to understand the concepts discussed as well as the technical language used. If you still decide to listen, please understand the information contained in this recording is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Any scenarios considered during this podcast are purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. The issue of how death benefits are paid and how they are taxed is a common question advisors ask after the death of a client. And the answer can sometimes be surprising. My name is Craig Day, head of the First Tech team, and joining me today to discuss the issue of death benefits is Linda Bruce, one of my senior managers. Welcome, Linda. Hello, everybody. So, Linda, an advisor calls and says, my client died yesterday. Bummer. How... And they want to know how the death benefits tax will be paid. So this is all happening very quickly. Mm. But it's not really that simple, is it? We're going to have to ask a whole bunch of questions before we can actually start talking about tax rates. So what are those questions? What do we want to know first? To start with, we need to know, is there a banding nomination, non-lapsing nomination? Has the client died in pension phase or accumulation phase? If in pension phase, is there a reversionary nomination? So lots of questions, but let's bring it back to who we're paying. So the first question in terms of a tax question is going to say, who am I paying? Now, in terms of who can receive a death benefit out of a super fund? Only a CISA dependent. So that's the first question. Yeah, so that's the first question. So we're wanting to know, okay, who are we paying? Okay, Mm -hmm. so from a CIS dependent perspective, who falls into that category? We're talking about a spouse, surviving spouse of the deceased Mm -hmm. and a child. child And we're talking about a child of any age, not just a minor child. Could it be an adult child? Because we're all children of our parents, aren't we? Absolutely. So we're all qualified (laughs) to receive a payment. Totally. Right. And uh, we're talking about somebody who had an interdependent relationship with the deceased Mm -hmm. or somebody who was financially dependent on the deceased. So they qualify as someone that's actually eligible to receive the death benefit payment. But in terms of who we can pay, then there's a different rule about how they get taxed, right? Mm -hmm. So the tax department or ATO look at a person and say, well, you may well be a tax or CIS dependent and eligible to receive that payment, but we're not going to tax you like that, are they? So there's a different definition of a dependent for tax purposes. So who do they include? Absolutely. So with tax dependency, um, the definition can be narrower in terms of a spouse, as long as we're talking about the surviving spouse, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, if it's a former spouse of the deceased, they are tax dependent, but not cis dependent. So they cannot receive the death benefit directly from the super fund, mm-hmm. but somehow if they receive it, they can receive the tax break. So that might be someone, an ex-spouse that's financially dependent, so they fall under that definition. They could. And so then they might still get it tax-free, or it might flow out through an estate. The state, yep. absolutely. Yep. 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 Now, interestingly, for child, a tax-dependent child, we're usually talking about a minor child. Mm-hmm. Once the child reaches age 18, 
unless they're financially dependent. But bear in mind, it would be very, very difficult to establish a financial dependency for adult child. So mm -hmm. generally speaking, adult child, unless they have a certain level of disabilities, usually they will not be classified as a tax dependent. So this is in relation to the payment of lump sums, right? So there's Correct. also different rules there for pension. Yeah. So if we decide to pay a, let's say, death benefit in the form of a pension to a minor child, mm -hmm. then they've got to draw that out as a lump sum by the time they turn 25. 25. Now, how is that... How's that lump sum tax there? Are that they still be, a dependent? That would have been entirely tax-free. Yes. Okay. Terrific. So it's really important. So when someone calls through and says, my client's passed away, how's it going to be taxed? First of all, we're looking at, okay, well, are they a dependent or not? So is it a spouse? Is it an adult child? If it's an adult child, yep. are they, you know, in any way financially dependent or something like that that would qualify them? Now, it has to be legitimate financial dependency, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, the ATO will normally look at that as relying on someone for the sustenance of life or, you know, like really... Shelter, food. Yeah, yeah all that sort of yep. stuff. So, okay, so we now know, okay, we're paying um, a spouse. It's always going to be tax-free. Right, so we don't need to worry too much. A minor child, it's always going to be tax-free. If we pay it as an income stream, it's a tax-free lump sum at 25. How's it going to tax be taxed if we do end up paying an adult child? So we're in the situation here where we've got a client that is divorced, they haven't remarried or entered into a new spousal relationship, or their spouse is predeceased. So the money's now all going to the adult kids. How's that taxed? It comes down to the tax componentry of the death benefit. The tax-free component is awesome. No matter who receives it, it's always tax-free. Now, with taxable component, sometimes the taxable component would only have a tax element, especially when dealing with a client who is over age 65. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, if the deceased member has a death benefit and had life insurance in your super, the lump sum death benefit could contain a taxable component, but yep. untaxed element. So one of those great you know, components we've got out there. So we've got taxable component, taxed yep. element, and taxable component, untaxed element. Correct. So when does that untaxed element get created? When the death benefit is paid out of a super fund as mm -hmm. a lump sum, or okay. rolled over to another super fund. Okay. So. If I'm looking at the type of fund it's coming out of, yeah. so if it's coming out of an untaxed fund, then we're going to have untaxed element. Correct. But sometimes we can have untaxed element that actually gets created when it's coming out of a taxed fund. So this would be your standard kind of contribution type fund um, where contributions are taxed on the way mm. in. So it's a normal kind of colonial first state, first choice, personal super fund type of thing. Yep. We can have untaxed element coming out in that situation. When does that happen? When the deceased member had a life insurance in super, mm -hmm. and the deceased person was under age 65 at the time of death, and when the lump sum death benefit is paid, usually it contains the untaxed element. Yep. We don't have to worry about if the recipient is a tax dependent, but we do have to worry about it if the recipient is not a tax dependent. Okay. So in that situation, if we've got, we still have to, the trustee technically yep. has to calculate it, but mm -hmm. if it's going off to a spouse, no one cares, no one right? Cares. Because the whole amount is tax-free. Yep. But if it's going to an adult child... Oh dear, we're talking about up to 30% of tax yep. for the untaxed element plus Medicare levy. And okay. we're talking about 15% of tax up to 15% up mm -hmm. of tax on the taxed element 
plus Medicare levy. Okay, so someone's passed away, advisor calls up, we've identified it's going to the adult child, they're an eligible sister pendant, we're now paying to that child, so the taxes, we're going to then ask how much is taxed element and how much is untaxed element. So the taxed element gets taxed at 15% mm -hmm. and the untaxed element gets taxed at 30%. But how does that actually work? Is this like, do we separate these amounts out and just apply a flat tax rate there? Or is there a different system that we're dealing with here? Not really. So the way um, the 15, 30% of tax works, those tax rates are the maximum tax rates. Mm -hmm. These um, untaxed and the tax elements get added on to the recipient's taxable income and it's taxed at the lower of their marginal tax rate or the maximum tax rate, meaning 15 or 30 percent. Right. So if we're paying a beneficiary directly, mm -hmm. that money goes into their assessable income for the year. So let's just say we've got someone on $100,000 a year, that's the amount of salary they've got, they've got no, no other income, yep. and they get a $100,000 death benefit that's made up of a 100% taxable component, yep. then their assessable income for the year is actually not 100, it's actually 200. Absolutely. Right, so then how does it work that they only pay 15 or 30%? The ATO will calculate a offset, it's yep. called a lump sum tax offset. Yep. The offset will reduce the individual's potential tax liabilities to ensure that the tax on those elements will not exceed either 15% or 30%. Okay, so two important things for me out of that. The first one is because it's going into my taxable income, if I'm eligible for some sort of tax concession, um, it's going to impact my eligibility for that. So, for example... You know, I used an example before mm. of $100,000, but um, someone on the low and middle income tax offset is yep. potentially, that would blow them out? Absolutely. Yeah. And even worse, uh, let's talk about the family situation. They might be receiving family tax benefit payment. They might be receiving fifteen over $15,000 part A, part B payment. Yep. And with the inclusion of this accessible income from superannuation tax benefit, all of a sudden, their family tax benefit could be completely wiped out. So if we had an advisor that told the beneficiary the maximum amount of tax you're going to pay is 15 or 30, they actually could effectively be much higher than that because take into account Medicare, I suppose we're exactly. also paying Medicare on this, yep. but also the loss of those other concession means yep. the effective tax rate could actually be much higher than 15 or 30%. I totally agree, um, yeah. Craig. And uh, you glad you mentioned Medicare. Think about this relatively low income earners. They may not have a hospital cover. How about a Medicare levy surcharge? Yeah, All of a sudden, yeah, yeah. they might have to pay Medicare levy surcharge. Wow. That's another big hit. So there's a lot in that. Now, yeah. we've talked about cis-dependents being, you know, financial dependent spouse, adult kids, you know, so people in interdependency relationships and financial <laughs> dependents. There's one other class of beneficiary, oh, isn't yeah. there? Yes. Yeah. And who's that? Legal person representative. And put that into perspective, we're talking about a death benefit paid to the state. Okay, so legal purpose of representative really means the executive of our state. Yes. So once the money goes in there, mm -hmm. it's been dealt with in accordance with the terms of the will. Yep. Right. So if our will um, says that I want my superannuation paid to my adult child, mm. how does tax work in that situation? Well, on the surface, we're still talking about up to 15% tax on the tax element, 30% tax on the untaxed element. So on the surface, what's the difference? 
Mm-hmm. Why does it matter? Oh, actually, it matters. We need to come down. We need to talk about who is the taxpayer here. The taxpayer here is the state. Is the executor of the deceased state, not the individual beneficiaries. So all the tax is dialed by the executor of the deceased state. They pay tax at up to fifteen or thirty percent, and no Medicare levy. And when the end beneficiary receive the distribution, they receive a net of tax distribution. There's no responsibility for the end beneficiary to include this income in their tax return. Okay, so a couple of critical differences there. If we pay the beneficiary directly,、mm. the amount gets included in their assessable income. Now, obviously, in those situations, the trustee will deduct death benefits tax.、Mm-hmm. So when they do that, that works as a tax credit in their tax return. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. But if we pay out through the estate, it's the estate that gets assessed, not the beneficiary. So all we're doing is paying out a net figure to that beneficiary that they don't then declare in their income. Absolutely. Okay. So from my perspective, what that means is that if we pay through the estate, we don't have to pay Medicare because it's not impacting my level of assessable income.、No. But all those other Concessions, so the low and middle income tax offset, it doesn't impact that. The low income tax offset, it doesn't impact that. Family tax benefit A and B, it doesn't impact、nope. that. So all of those other effective taxes、yep. that we essentially pay because we're losing those entitlements. And don't forget division two nine three tax as well. Yeah. Terrific. So we don't necessarily have to pay a high amount of tax on our concessional, concessional contributions. contributions.、Yep. Wow. So what you're telling me is I always pay a death benefit to an adult child through the estate. Well, <laughs> it can be more complicated than that.、Yep. Say,、um, we all、um, have the concept that we should pay where possible,、uh, pay the death benefit to the direct beneficiary. Why is that? Because once the money hit the state, nobody can guarantee who is going to get hands on the money, right?、Mm. So the will can be challenged, and family law provision can come into play.、Yep. Where the super fund has a valid binding or non-lapsing nomination or reversionary, the super fund provider has obligation to pay those amount to the beneficiary directly.、Mm. And these assets usually will not form part of the deceased assets, and it will be exempt from the family law provision.、Mm-hmm. However, just be mindful in New South Wales, there's a concept called notional states that the courts. Could claw back the superannuation death benefit paid to a specific beneficiary back to the state, and it may be subject to the family law provision. But it won't happen very often. It would、yeah. be very rare.、Yeah. Okay. So what you're essentially saying to me is actually, you know, when we're thinking about superannuation death benefits and putting in place binding nominations. And thinking about where the money needs to go, we need to have to think about those estate planning concepts、Absolutely. about where the money should go. Take、mm. advantage of that concept that superannuation doesn't form part of the estate unless it's paid into or to the legal person or representative. So,、yep. if there is any potential for dispute and the member or the client wants it、mm. to go directly to、um, child A, B, or C, and they don't want anything going over here.、Mm. Then a binding nomination would make a lot of sense because it just removes any concept that that child could potentially lose some or all of that benefit if there if it does go into the state and then there's a family provision claim. Terrific, thanks, thanks, Linda. Thank you, Craig. Thanks for having me. No problems. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please remember these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. 
If you're not an authorised financial advisor, you need to remember that any scenarios considered during this podcast were for purely hypothetical and illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. And finally, you should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decision and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be reliable and accurate, no person, including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited or Commonwealth Bank Group of Companies, accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.